Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. My name is Matt Miller. Matt Henry. And I'm Mark. Welcome back, guys. Hey. Hey. Thanks for having us again. So anything interesting happened over the last few weeks, Lena? I gave life to a human being. (laughs) You gave life. You I gave birth, birth to what was life. <laughs> the baby already. was already alive. <laughs> I gave right, let's, let's talk, life. Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you had your fourth child, little fourth. George. Georgia. And Mark is on an 18-month paternity leave. <laughs> 18, yeah, 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 apparently. Australian company. Good. Apparently, oh, back in my day, you got nothing. Yeah. You got nothing. You had like two days if your job allowed for it, and we made that work. And I'm in my day and still get nothing. Yep. Well, that's because our church doesn't provide for squat. <laughs> if you want to take it off, but you're still expected to preach. So you figure out how you're going to do that. Yeah, 18 yeah. months would be a long time. I think it's 14 weeks. But as we were joking earlier, if I get any longer than that, I mean, we would, Menards would run out of wood. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking around. We're at his their house in the backyard. It's a beautiful day. So you're going to hear lawnmowers and planes and whatnot. But I've never seen so many woodworking projects being done in one spot. It's like you got planters and we have so many plants now. Well, we joke because we live down the we live down the street. Yeah, right. (laughs) The back of your van is open at all hours of the day, Uh and I know there's probably just wood constantly coming out of that thing. And I'm hearing the saw going all the time. Who helped you get a saw though? Who's that, Matt? We got which Matt though? This Matt uh, Matt Henry. Yeah, you. Well, who helped you get wood? (laughs) Uh, you. <laughs> See, yeah, yeah. But who, who helped with the saw? The saw is what makes the wood become something. Yeah, it's, it kind of doesn't do a lot on its really? own over there. But I what mean, value wood, is the saw if there's no wood? Mm. Mm. This is get, this Listen, is getting this is really, like this is getting really really deep, conversations, right? Yeah, yeah right, man. <laughs> yeah, so it's getting crazy here around this household. I mean, we're just building stuff left and right. So, but it's nice. Well, congrats, guys. Yep, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, she's a cutie. Thanks. So. So intro this. Yeah, so we're going to deal with the cost of procrastination today. It's all related to our nature of self-control. Um, in the first episode, we need we talked about the need for self-control. Last uh, podcast, we opened up the ugly can of worms known as procrastination. Um, and so if you recall, we were making the argument that procrastination is simply another term for being lazy. Uh, it's just more acceptable sounding than being called lazy, and so we use it. So we began to look at the sin, and we saw the actions and attitudes of a lazy person. My battery's running low. Um, now, you may remember that we're building from the lesser to the greater also in describing the sin. So today, we're actually going to turn it up a bit and look at a more serious issues related to this type of lack of self-control. Yeah, so we're going to talk today primarily about the cost then of procrastination. And so let me give you the first one. Number one, procrastination destroys your reputation. Repetition. Reputation. Um, because why? Well, to say that you, you're going to do something and then not do it due to procrastination is sin. And why is it sin? Well, because it's simply a lie. Um, and we should just accept that as being true. Um, it may not start out at a lie, as a lie, but it becomes a lie. It's like those who love the banker 
bankruptcy laws as a way to escape paying their debts. Yeah. You know, they're, they're signing for loans and for credit cards and fully intend to pay those debts. That's what you're saying when you sign up for those things. Right. But until it's hard to do so, and then we find out that a person's word is not quite as good as we thought. They're just simply not going to mm. pay those. Um, find one given to procrastination and you'll find one whose word ultimately is taken lightly, if at all. Um, and that's just the reality of what happens if you're a procrastinator. And anyone knows that from experience. So we're going to look at some passages related to this. Um, the first one is Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is there speaking of taking oaths. And starting in verse 33, would you want to read that? Sure, you got sure. a reader. Bam. Oh, that's right. I'm not used to that. That was always a high point. <laughs> Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall f fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this, these is of evil. Okay, so it's a passage that's often discussed with regard to oath-taking, and for obvious reason. Uh, but it's also uh, frequently misunderstood or misquoted, because the point is how the people became clever in taking their oaths, and that's what you need to understand. So the goal was to leave them an escape clause, sort of like children who say, but my fingers were crossed. Um, and, and what all Jesus is saying is that when you say you will do something, simply put, you're committed to do it. So what's that got to do with procrastination? Well, it, a lot actually, because how often, you, just think about this, how often is the tendency of those who like to procrastinate to then make promises? Think about the ones who are consistently unfaithful to keep their word. They say they'll do it, and they don't. And then you say, hey, can you do this? And they say, sure, I can do that. And you look at them because it's like, well, you yeah. don't. And so then that, no, really, I swear I'll do it. Uh, I promise on a stack of Bibles. And they, and they like to make these oaths. And they're trying to convince you that this time they're going to be serious. And, but all Jesus is saying in this passage is, look, if you're going to say something, let your yes be yes or your no, no. In other words, you should be a person of integrity. And that's really at the issue yeah. of procrastination is that you're, you, you essentially are a liar. You cannot be trusted. And, and, and people lose sight of this a lot of times. Um, it, it literally takes but a few moments of unfaithfulness to destroy what is so difficult to create to create, which is yeah. a godly, uh, faithful reputation. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, this is why an elder is a man who is to be above reproach. Uh, he's he's to be a man of his word. That's the point. Um, others need to be able to depend on him. He's one who is faithfully living out his life before the church as an example of everyone in that church to be able to follow. Um, and this is also why the longer you allow procrastination to rule in your heart and um, you, you're, you, the actions, um, let me say that again. The longer you allow procrastination to rule your heart and actions, the longer it will be for people to trust you and trust that you have changed. There are people that we know that will require a very long time before we're truly going to believe that they have turned from that sin. And, and it, this is something worth thinking about because mm -hmm. it, it's, what's frustrating is that a person has shown themselves unfaithful time and time again to, to their word, and then they are faithful. And right. they assume that everyone should just like fall over 
praising them. It's like all yeah. you did was keep your word. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's like basic. You know, you take you've got how old's Naomi? Four. Really that old? Yeah. Goodness. Anyhow, so you got a four year old. Now she's learning how to be faithful, right? She doesn't always do everything well. And so you're gonna praise that because they're a four year old, but a twenty four year old? By then. Right. Yeah. I mean Well, the, the longer you allow that that yeah. sin to be a defining part of your life, then the harder it is to break that and then bring it under control as well. Um, you know, there's always exceptions to that, of course, but you'll find that this is what's the norm. And anyone who's lived life knows this. We pointed out in a prior episode that um, Proverbs 15, 19 says that the way of the lazy is a hedge of thorns. And mm-hmm. you can apply that passage to most sins that are life dominating or defining. Yeah. The longer that you live in that hedge, so to speak, then the deeper uh, in you go. And so therefore it's just much, much harder to get out. Yeah. So one time of not keeping your word or procrastinating, not a big deal. You can repair that quickly, but life of it, you've got a life now of yeah, call that spiraling. Out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a point obviously for, for parents, uh, just sort of as low hanging fruit here, I guess, start early and be diligent in addressing a child that procrastinates and do not honor it because it's, deadly. It really is. Um, and of course that presumes that, or assumes that the parent is not a procrastinator. It's really bad is, well, I can't cause I do it. It's like, well, then you need to stop too. model. What it looks like to repent. Um, the, the next passage we'd look at is first Corinthians four, one through five. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. All right. Now, this this one invokes that common statement of the time about uh, a being a steward. We don't have stewards yeah. in our culture, but they certainly did. Uh, the point of verse five, though, is is not to make all judgment null and void, uh, where he says, uh, for he says the opposite in the very next chapter that he's already made certain judgments. Uh, rather, it's judging his work for the Lord is a minister. or uh, his work for the Lord as a minister of the gospel. But don't miss the point. Here's here's what we're going to drive at. There are some things that you just need to leave alone and let them play out. Uh, Hasty judgment can be destructive. But there are other things that should be judged quickly, things that are clearly sinful, which is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that he's already judged the man who was living in sin with his stepmother. But the greater question for us is, what has God given you to be steward of? Uh, many will say very little. In fact, I, I've asked this on occasion. It's just like, well, what are the things you're a steward of? And people are like, I don't know, not much. Um, but in reality, think about all the things um, that every one of us has that we are responsible as a steward. Um, our life, our health, our environment, our family, our spiritual life, the gospel. Those are just a few we could go on. Um but my question is, what's your reputation in those areas? This gets into that issue we talked about last time on gluttony and laziness, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, are we, what's your reputation? What is your plan to develop a godly reputation? 
Um, and what we hope is that through this series, you're going to find some help in addressing the issue of self-control. But right now, we're just simply trying to reveal the sin. So we're going to ask you to keep hanging in there. Yeah, and on that, it's also helpful when you when you realize there's a weakness or a shortcoming in your character or in something. Let's just say it's gluttony. Let's say it's lack of self-control over what you eat. It's helpful to not keep talking about wanting to fix it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I see so many people take the Facebook all the time and just say, I'm starting a new 30-day thing or a new yeah. turning over a new leaf. And they just keep talking about it, but their life is evidencing the opposite. Well, you're doing nothing but harming your reputation mm. because you keep wanting to make public intentions or stating your intentions publicly, but it's just, it's breaking your reputation all the more and you're becoming yeah. less trustworthy. It, but you, you, now that's not what your intention though, though is you're, you're thinking that maybe by making this public that it'll keep you more faithful sure but yeah. it doesn't because it's a hard issue it's got nothing to do with what other people do uh it's ultimately you're going to make that decision right yeah. now right. we're going to argue for having somebody hold you accountable at the end here but having before we do that if you're if you're given the lies right um you can have an accountability partner still lie through your teeth yeah. <laughs> and, and so accountability is useful but only if you use it faithfully. Right. Right, it right. still gets back to you, always back to you. Yeah, that's a good point. Secondly, we would say procrastination harms you and your family. And this is one of the most painful things yeah. to watch truly when a home is systematically dismantled due to a person's laziness. And one way this is done is, I mean, this is uh, an easy one, but through loss of income or the lack of yeah. needed resources, but due to your lack of diligence. Um, demotions and unemployment are always hard on a household. It affects all those around you and that you're, that have been entrusted to your care. At the same time, though, it frustrates me because our government now comes alongside so quickly to mm -hmm. protect you yeah. uh, in your unfaithfulness. Well, that's what last time we were, I think it was that one, but we were talking about it's so difficult for a person to truly come under a good discipline in many ways right. because there's so many safety nets. Yeah. And so they never learn and therefore their heart and their character is never well, addressed. And that's what happened to me because my father kept, I, I think I told the story, I, my father always bailed me out. Yeah. But once, but he did have a conviction that once you move out of your home, you're on your own. And that, that was part of his letter. He's like, I love you, buddy, but you are no longer in my home. That means you knock before you come in. Hmm. And I moved across the nation to Texas, but I knew dad was serious. And it was amazing the mind shift that took place. It's like, Dad's not Dad's yeah. not helping me, and so I had to figure it out. So you know, I made twenty dollars a day, and I had to somehow live on my own, make a car payment, make a rent payment, yeah. and um, I'll tell you, I went from a thirty-four inch waist to a twenty-eight inch waist <laughs> in something no like time. a month. It was crazy. <laughs> nice. Go ahead. Yeah. So <laughs> the point though is procrastination not only harms you but those around you, and again, one way is through something like loss of income, but a second way. Uh, when it comes to the issue of parenting is when you're procrastinating, there's therefore a lack of diligence and faithfulness in the training of your children yeah. in a manner, you know, that's consistent with fear and admonition of the Lord. So Proverbs 19, 18 says this. Discipline your son while there is still hope and do not desire his death. And, and <clears throat> as pastors, we would just plead with parents to take heed of this, you know, there is a point in time when your child is no longer yours and you can't do something. And that's actually oftentimes before they even 
leave your home. There's just this point where they're truly their own person, and you realize I don't intimidate them. Mm. I, I I can't. I mean, I can't do it. Um, there there's a time and a place where you need to be disciplining, um, um, or you actually are without intending to you actually are causing your child to suffer harm and that's yeah. heartbreaking um in proverbs thirteen twenty four, it's it says this he who withholds his rod hates his son but he who loves him disciplines him diligently now this is not just talking about spanking um it's it's constrained and defined by a godly purpose it means that you have to stop what you're doing uh, to do what you should be doing. It means that there's this embracing of a responsibility rather than a reluctant uh, touching of it. And that, again, requires diligence. It takes a long view, a view of faith, really. Um, discipline is not just spanking. Discipline in any situation is always going to be driven by faith. And and so you'll see the parent again who, well, will discipline kid, but only at, as a last resort. Right. Right. And it, it's also why I try to tell people don't use the word punishment. Yeah. yeah. I was raised that way. It's, it's You got to take your punishment, but it's not. It's a discipline, the term paideia. It's, it's bringing right. them into line and harnessing them in a direction that's righteous. Yeah. And and showing them when you step out of that, it's painful. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're helping them. There's purpose behind that. And as you said, that does require faith, but also diligence. Yeah. But uh, put it off. I mean, the point yeah. again is procrastination hurts a family. You keep putting that off because you're afraid you don't want to do it, mm-hmm. or you remember how you got disciplined or punished when you're a kid. I didn't want to go through that. Okay, but there's a cost. And we have found that consistency is helpful because to keep in line with that illustration, the further off the beaten path they get, the harder it is to bring them back. Whereas if they're still near that path, but they go off a little bit, the discipline's less. Oh yeah. You know, it's, 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 again, you're not trying to uproot so many bad things all the time. Proverbs 29, 15 is the next one. The rod and reproof give wisdom but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Yeah, now I love the Proverbs because there's those parallels. Right. And so notice the contrast that's taking place here. It's between wisdom and shame. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to its mother. Um, it, you know, it, it's one or the other that will be the fruit of a parent's labors. It's either gonna be wisdom or it's gonna be shame. Um, but again, it takes diligence. You, you can't parent well if you're busy putting off constantly what needs to be done. Right, and it also shows that your child is a reflection of you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good. um, And so it reflects, were you a diligent parent? Um, There's always exceptions on this. Sure, sure. But we're too quick to find the exception when in fact, we just weren't faithful. Um, Proverbs 19, 15. Laziness casts into a deep sleep and an idle man will suffer hunger. I, I mean, pretty easy one to figure out. It ultimately uh, is saying it brings need to you. When you procrastinate, it brings need to you. It brings need to your household. But this need is brought to you in a shameful manner. It speaks of the evil of much of what we call welfare. Um, This is also a key reason why we do not personally have a food pantry as a church, because Mm In, in many cases, all we're really doing is promoting laziness rather than diligence. It's in America, there is just no reason to be unemployed unless the government voiced a mandated quarantine on you. But uh, aside from that, there's just no reason to be unemployed. There's the opportunity to work and to make an honest living, but, but, it, but it requires diligence and faithfulness. Yeah. And then Proverbs twenty nine seventeen. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. 
He will also delight your soul. Yeah, so just as faithfully, uh, a faithfully trained child brings comfort and delight, so one you have failed to train brings no comfort in a sad heart. And so if you're grieved by your child, what's indicative of that is what you haven't done, right. in other words. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what happens so often in the hearts of many parents is that fear that the child's gonna hate them or now avoid them. And this simply is not the case when you practice faithful, consistent and loving discipline. I mean, the grief's gonna come in one form or another and oftentimes it's much, much worse. Oh, it is. How many times have we yeah. had to see that just parents pierce through with so many pangs of regret, but it's done. And so now all you can do is hope that God will graciously intervene nonetheless. And, and there's still much hope in all that, but it, it can be um, very hard. Yeah. A, a side note on this, self-control is such a key item to train your children in, and it has far-reaching effects. I mean, this is why we keep quoting the Proverbs, and the Proverbs are often speaking of the nature of training children. You know, teach them to subjugate their desires to what is right. Um, teach them to subjugate their emotions to what is good and proper. Uh, so I have two children in their complete opposites yeah. in their disposition. Well, yeah, there's no middle ground either. They're I mean, they couldn't like get more. Polar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Levi, our youngest, I mean, he is just a ball of emotion. And you see that. But right now, because he's two, it's utterly uncontrolled. I mean, he is the pro proverbial fool because he's so, he doesn't know anything. But what we're doing is not trying to get rid of those emotions. We're trying to train them, shepherd them, bring them into line with what is true. Well, let me even give you a little word of praise there because uh, Lydia, I mean, I picked up Levi and he just lost it. He, I wasn't, it wasn't his mother. So he starts screaming. And I'm like used to that. Seems like I either terrorize children or throw them, but I'm not, there's no middle ground with me either. Uh, and so I'm holding them and he's losing it. And Lydia walked up to him. I'm a, I was curious to see what she would do. And she, now, how old is he? You said two? He's, well, two-ish. Yeah. Um, and she said, Levi. And he looks at her and she said, gently, but she says, get self-control. To an almost two-year-old, that's a that's a abstract concept. Yeah. And I'm like, let's see what happens. And he settled down. Yeah, he and sucks I'm, the lip in. And that's still there, but he's learning, yeah. hey, I can, and he does. And he's not even two. No. And I was so proud of her, but I was so impressed too. It's like, okay, he, he's understanding that he, he doesn't understand the fullness of what self-control means there, but he is learning that I can stop crying if I exert a level of self-control. And you're, that's just training. Yes. Uh, and that was so good. Yeah. Um, so in line with that, don't let children get away with doing what is wrong, um, what is strictly an impulse, what's strictly a reaction to their emotions, uh, what is their desire to be right or wrong, and then certainly never let them flaunt that. And listen, you never start that too soon. No. I mean, we training always for us begins with the moment they are on solid foods, which is about five months, and already immediately they understand no touch within one month. Well, and, and also though, in helping them learn how to sleep through the night. So it starts yeah. almost immediately where Absolutely. you you don't, the moment they cry, you don't immediately grab them and, and feed them, but you let them cry just a little bit to get used to not associating food right. with, right? And, yeah. and that, for both of you, when do you guys usually see your kids sleeping all the way through night from birth? They say like six to eight hours, six to eight weeks. Yeah, I, I told Kim and she said she she thought it was about eight weeks that mm -hmm. she was, the ch children were through the night. Yep. And some parents right now are hearing that and say, what? Yeah. We, we had neighbors who their child was three and still not sleeping through the yeah. night. 
Yeah, and that's hard. Kim's yeah, like, Mark oh. would run into that all the time at work. No, that's People sad. asking advice. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, don't let them throw tantrums. I mean, if they're 12 months old and they're just losing it, they already should be understanding control at some level. You know, don't, don't let them do that. Confine them to a self-disciplined pattern within the realm of, of love, of course. So train them to eat because it's good and right, not merely because they like it. This is another one. Um, they're not allowed not to eat what's in front of them always and finish it. Right. I don't care what's on the plate. You're going to eat it. Yeah, I was actually at another one of my kids' uh, house last night, and their little girl was eating turkey, and I'm talking to them, and I see her pick up her turkey and just reach over the um, high chair and just drop it. I'm like, did you guys see it? And they're like, no. I said, she just tossed her turkey, and and she got a, a simple discipline, and it got right back on the plate, and the dad says, you're going to eat it. And I'm like, good for you. Good for you. It's like, yeah. we're not asking if you feel like this. <laughs> you're too young to make that determination. Yeah. Right now, you're going to learn to eat what we feed you. And it was good food. Yeah. Um, so the next cost uh, to pro procrastination is it also prevents you from having critical things when you most need, uh, most need it. Um, now, the most critical thing you're going to find is wisdom, which we've said over and over again in our podcast. It's biblical knowledge that's been skillfully applied. So listen to uh, this passage out, Proverbs 1. It goes from 22 down to 30. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned my reproof. All right, that's a painful one, but it's one I reference a lot um, in counseling that there's a point in time in your life that you need to store up wisdom. And, and that's always during the easy times, um, but it's the, in anticipation for the times of calamity, of evil, of difficulty. But if you mock that, if you spurn that and say, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll put it off, I'll put it off, there's going to be a day that you desperately need wisdom mm -hmm. at that critical moment, and it's not there to be found. And, and what's shocking here is then God saying, and I'm not going to answer it. I'm not yeah. giving it to you. I'm not going to pull you out of your consequences, which is, again, a massive statement about how what fatherly care looks like. It's not rescuing you from your consequences as much as it's teaching you the cost of bad decisions and how then to, okay, let's not do that again. Now, if you can do that when they're two, then you can save them a world of hurt when they're 18. Yeah. Um, but if you choose never to do that, then they're 18 and now they're adult. I remember having that discussion with one of my children. I'm like, you understand it. You're 18 now. Everything's on you. I don't have to do, I'm not responsible for you at all. And so all your decisions are on you. And I have no sympathy if you choose to go a foolish way. And, and by God's grace, they didn't. But it was like, you could see their eyes are like, whoa. Yeah. Actually, how did 18 get here so quick? It yeah. seemed so far away when you were 14, you know? Yeah. Did, did you give the definition here of wisdom? Yes. That it's skillful application? Yes. Yeah, what I, what I love about this one is in 22, he says, 
how long, oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? <laughs> the word simple-minded, there is petite. It, uh, it literally means open-minded. Yes. Um, uh. <laughs> so it's the idea that you're letting all and everything flood your mind, your yeah. thoughts, and you have, you've never learned how to take what is true and skillfully apply it because you don't know what to do with it. You just have, you're an open-minded person and you view that as good. I mean, he says that you love being that here yeah. and God would say, it's not good to be open-minded. No, in fact, I, in, in a podcast, I can't remember which one, we actually talked about the Christian mind is a closed mind. Right. It, it's actually closed and confined by the word of God and wisdom it, rather than always thinking that we need to be out there open-minded, yeah. receiving, not judging. Yep. So... Anyhow, next passage would be Proverbs 24, 30 to 40. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. Now, before you say something, I, I as she's reading that, I'm thinking of a Dave Ramsey meme I saw on Facebook <laughs> that popped up several times during the quarantine and people are no longer working. And it's yeah. him and says something like, so what do you think of my saving up six months worth of wages now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because so many people think yeah. it's extreme and this right. and that. And that's just his, one of his counsels is save until you have six months wages and then you can start doing other things like debt reduction. But people over and over, ah, it's just too extreme, too extreme. And all of a sudden, here it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's not a lot of comment here. It's pretty obvious what the meaning is. But what I like about it is how he actually learns wisdom by observing the fool. And how often we will look at folly in this world and try and sympathize with it. But what he does is he looks at it and he seeks to learn from it because in it, this man's destruction has come upon him. The next one would be procrastination then is poison to your own soul. Uh, time is either a friend or it's our enemy. Procrastination always tells you, and this is what's so deadly about it, it always tells you that there's more time. Uh, and, and that is just a vicious line and something that we often believe. Well, the, the illustration I always use on that one was uh, many years ago, I, I read a newspaper article about this Minnesota farmer's wife who went for her daily walk. She's just walking down the road and you know those big rolls of hay now? They're not bales, I guess. They're just massive rolls. So, well, they weigh like a ton or two. Mm -hmm. um, as she's walking by one, the rope that was attaching it to the trailer snapped and it fell on her and crushed her to death. And you're like... <laughs> <laughs> a wide open... Yeah, yeah. You're in the middle of Minnesota. There's no one there. And she's just taking a walk down the country road and a hay bale falls on her and crushes her to death. Um, you know, when I was a police officer, I remember another time I got called to a dead body, uh, hated those calls. We walk into the house. We have to go find a dead guy. And he literally was, you, you, he had just stepped out of the shower and he was stepping between the shower, the bathroom door and his bedroom door across, what, a four foot wide hallway. Yeah. And he just fell over dead. He had a massive heart attack and just was dead. But you could see he had literally just finished drying off and was heading in to get dressed. Instead, he's just dead. And I'm like, no one no one uh, had this planned. Um, we don't know 
the time. We don't know time that we'll stand before God to be judged. We don't know this time in which calamity is going to come. We just don't know. Yeah, I remember what always struck me when you would tell stories like that, um, because it struck you, was when you would show up to something like that, you'd sometimes notice a calendar hanging on the I, wall. I try to actively find their calendar. Yeah, yeah, and you're seeing all the events they have planned. I mean, family things, things that look like joy, uh, all that stuff. And yet what they never have written down is day of death. Yep. N no one plans for it that day. And because we assume it won't be that day. And that's what procrastination tells you. It's, I can do it tomorrow. Yeah. And then the famous tomorrow never gets here. Yeah. Deuteronomy 32, 29 says, would that they were wise that they understood this, that they would discern their future. Um, so to understand this requires that we understand the context. Of course, uh, this is a song and it's that famous one in Deuteronomy 32 <laughs> that God actually gave to Moses under the inspiration of the spirit to teach the nation certain truths prior to them entering the promised land. And if you read um, the prior 28 verses, you find that it recounts God's faithfulness, but also the reality of what will be Israel's unfaithfulness. Right. Um, and so in verse 29, it is simply saying, oh, that you would not forget these words, that you would remain or maintain a level of self-control and remain faithful, which of course they didn't. Right. Right. Uh, and then Psalm 39.4, it's written, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. And again, very simple to understand. It's something we truly, though, need divine help. That's what's interesting is the psalmist, I believe it's David, is saying, I need you to help me to see that. Uh, because we're so easily distracted, which is why the writer says, help them. Uh, so how often are your decisions made in light of the end of your life? Um, really, I, 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 as you listen to this, think about how often you're making a decision in light of the fact that tomorrow you may die. Uh, remember also your creator, it says in Ecclesiastes 12.1. Uh, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Um, such a poignant statement of an old man looking backwards and like, man, it got here way too quick. Yeah, I remember when I preached that, my statement on that was, you will wake up one day and literally hate life. That's what he's saying. Just do the nature of age and sin and what it does. And so his ultimate conclusion is therefore fear God, keep his commandments. Yeah. <laughs> so simple. That's Ecclesiastes summed up. Proverbs 27 verse one, do not boast about tomorrow. Why? For you do not know what a day may bring forth. Um, and this, this is a, an important passage as well. In fact, Jonathan Edwards made some very powerful observations on this text that is still applicable today. Um, and it's simply, we cannot boast in that which is not ours. And time is one of those things, and we don't think about it that way because it's so intangible, but it's something that we do not possess, nor do we have control over. And so to assume that there is a tomorrow is to assume that you can grasp the wind, essentially. Um, and what makes that so deadly is that tomorrow has so often already uh, come already that we assume that there's another tomorrow, right? Uh, we're just in this pattern. And so how many have thought that tomorrow is something that they deserve or therefore in light of that, that they shall see? How many are depending on the hope that there will be a tomorrow? Um, well, according to this proverb, we're to live lives that assume nothing beyond what we have in this very present moment. And so we should live now, but without depending on another day. Yeah. All right. So in conclusion, for some, perhaps you've heard, simply put, a description of yourself. 
And if so, oh, actually what we hope is that you will see it for what it is, that it's sin. It's sin that your Lord does not desire for you in your life. And so what, what do we want you to do? Feel bad? No. What we would say is is our desire is that you would begin even now to repent. The wonderful thing about seeing sin in your life or seeing this as a controlling sin in your life is that through Christ, there's always going to be forgiveness uh, and the power to change. Right. So you don't have to beat yourself up over it. And that's what usually people do. They, they go through this, I call it evangelical penance. Maybe if I whip myself and debase myself enough, this time it will be different. It's like, no, the means by which this is going to happen is confess and then reorient yourself and start again. Um, you can confess it because God has promised forgiveness. Uh, and so we would also counsel you to find, though, a faithful person. The key word there is faithful, not just somebody, but somebody who has shown a truly diligent lifestyle in light of God's presence. So you're not just talking about a non-Christian who has a really good investment pro you know, uh, practice where they've developed a habit of saving money or something. You're looking for a, a godly man or woman who's ultimate, uh, extremely faithful that you would put yourself under to be held accountable. Uh, don't, in other words, don't be foolish and think that this time will be any different than the other thousand times you said so. What you want to do is find a person and then really humble yourself and just lay it out to them. Say, look, this is who I am. Um, I think I, I told the listeners once about how I used to struggle in giving. Um, I don't remember, but I, 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 I it just I saw it as a loss. And we had so little that I didn't want to give. And I knew it was sin. And so I finally just kept make promises to God. I'll do, I'll do it, but I never did. So I found a faithful man. I walked into his office. I told him, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm asking you to hold me accountable, would you? My gosh, he was good at it, obnoxiously so. <laughs> but every Monday, I had to go show him the, the receipt from my check that I'd written a check uh, yeah. and he was so kind about it, but it, it helped me develop the habit because I found I wanted to give, but I, I didn't have the habit. I, and, and by knowing that he was going to be walking in my office, let me see the check stub. I, I, it helped me. And then it just started to turn my habits around. Yeah. And so humble yourself. Yes, that's very good. Um, so we do hope to continue this series on self-control and some upcoming episodes. And so we hope that these have been helpful, uh, even if you know they end up being convicting for you. Uh, but until then, make sure to tune in, join this conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on procrastination, self-control. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell all your friends.